This episode of Warp 5 is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for your smartphone, tablet, or desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. Also, help us keep Star Trek discussion coming to you each day by becoming a Trek FM patron through Patreon. Get access to exclusive content and become part of the team. You'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm. Hi, I'm Anthony Montgomery, Ensign Travis Mayweather on Star Trek Enterprise, and you're listening to Trek FM. How we doing, Trip? Ready when you are. Prepare for warp. Course laid in, sir. Request permission to get underway. Welcome, Boomers, to another episode of Warp 5, Trek FM's dedicated enterprise show. I'm your host, Floyd Dorsey, and I have two guests back with me again this week. It's We're meeting in the mess hall. We snuck into the kitchen. Just give you a little background, little background information. We snuck into the kitchen at the end of the last episode. We didn't exactly find what we were looking for, so now we're just kind of lurking back in the mess hall, hoping that Chef makes what we're wanting. But back for this episode, for this week, I have the host of Melodic Treks and currently the Warp 5 editor, Mr. Brendan Shea Matala. Welcome back, Brendan. Hey, how's it going, everybody? I am so happy to be here and talk about some more Season 2 episodes, and I am so happy because we talked about Judgment last week. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> yes, we left that off as the cliffhanger for the, the part one, I guess, of this little series we've got here. And also... We've got the co-associate producer of Warp 5 and the co-host of Metatrex, Mr. Mike Morrison. So welcome back, Mike. Pleasure to be here. I'm looking forward to taking a second pass at Chef's Pecan Pie. And I hear uh, pan-fried catfish is on the menu. But i got to be honest, guys, it's a little awkward for me. Yeah. Uh, I... be, you know, sitting here at the table with Brandon, as he announced last week, I was evidently the... Unbeknownst to me, I was uh, his, what was it, your third co-husband? Yeah, you were one of my co-husbands. Yeah, so I, I, I went and got a Klingon lawyer and got the uh, arrangement annulled. So it's a little awkward to be sitting at the table with Brendan, but uh, no hard feelings, right? Well, I mean, the lawyers say it's okay because we're in different time zones in the countries and stuff. So, you know, as long as we're not in the same room. <laughs> right. Well, get in the Klingon lawyer. I hope you weren't in the Klingon court because I think everyone ends up at Ruapente, you know, no matter what, you know, so. All right. So, yeah, um, we're going to continue our Warp 5 retrospective of the second half of Season 2. We got a good start going there, and we wanted to cut it off so we could finish up another and give the rest of these episodes a really good going over. So we didn't want to go too long with the episodes. We like to keep them nice and easy for you on your commutes. So, or if you're like me, you're in the car. So that's, that's where I listen to them. So yeah, um, as we did earlier, we'll just, we'll go down the line here. We'll talk about the 
uh, characters, the situations, and just scenes and topics that actually stand out to us in these episodes. So we left off last time at Judgment, and this time we've got Horizon, The Breach, Cogenitor, Regeneration. First Flight we spoke about last time, but uh, I just want to give it a give it a shout out. Bounty and The Expanse. So Mike, uh, kicking us off here with Horizon. So mm. um, we get we get another look at the sweet spot, I believe, to get Horizon going here. So what what did, what do you think about this episode? This was a long overdue episode for me. Uh, I I love the exploration of these early uh, freighter uh, fr- you know freighter ships in space and the exploration of the boomer life and of course uh, the NX-01's helmsman uh, Travis is is a boomer and so uh, this was this was long overdue for me to, to get to go home with him and meet his family and see a little bit about his life and kind of the tensions that are there the sibling rivalries and uh, I thought it was a, a, a little sad for me really that we didn't get to know his dad a little bit uh, you know, getting the news that his dad had passed, never really getting to know him, but uh, fantastic episode all the way around. Yeah, you bet, Mike. Absolutely. Like it's um, Anthony Montgomery talks all the time at conventions and stuff. And he says, you know, there was a scene where I went all out and my emotions went all crazy in this. And, you know, the producers of the show were like, nope, take it back, dial it back. And he's like, the first chance where I get to really, really show some emotion is because my dad died and they won't even let me do it. Mm-hmm. And I really think that that's a, a missed opportunity for this episode because I think Anthony Montgomery's a great actor and I really like his portrayal of Travis Mayweather. I've said before, like he's the character is such an optimistic character and he's so fun to watch because he's happy all the time. Yeah. And, you know, so to have been able to have seen him stretch his emotional acting legs would have been outstanding. Yep, I really, I really enjoy this episode, and I know you like the sweet spot, Brandon. You know, mm. especially according, according to uh, your story, uh, Anthony Montgomery likes it, but you know, you had to force him to actually say it. Am I right? <laughs> yeah, I posted a picture on the Babel conference with their commentary. I got Anthony Montgomery to sign a picture, and it says, "I love the sweet spot." <laughs> yeah, I heard uh, in the, his interview that he talked about he had to hold back because he did a version of it, and they were like, "No, that's that's a little too much." You know, but it, it's still very emotional. The scene with Archer in the sweet spot, and then you know, the, seeing him go back home and the the problems that he has with his brother, and his brother doesn't really know his role, and he's trying to be something that he's seen his dad be, but he's not really sure how to do that. Um, I think he was wearing the jacket, like the captain's jacket, so that 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 steps him up. Um, but yeah, I the life as a boomer, you get a little taste of it. Again, that was maybe our idea for the season five, maybe giving a little bit more attention to the boomers and their uh, frontier sort of life that they've got going there. Um, we do get to see some frontier justice, you know, just like the Wild West. You mm-hmm. know, they're, they're, we, space is very v- big, and there's a lot of space in between the different planets. And when you're on the, the different runs that they're on, they, they, there's not really any police out there to kick the uh, Nausicaan Raiders off. So we got to see a little bit of uh, them trying to defend themselves and that, that could play, you know, you could play that in political, you could have all kinds of stuff. I mean, I would love to see a kind of like a space truck stop 
you know, if we, we could have seen that, you know, with a bunch of boomers, you know, with all of their cargo ships, all at like a spaceport or some, you know, an alien spaceport. And, you know, they're, you're, they could have even politics, even for their own, you know, their frontier style, Wild West style politics or something. I don't know. Uh, but yeah, that I know uh, Will Win. that's his big wish list item was to see more of the boomer uh, storyline, how it could have played out. Yeah, and Travis is one of my favorite characters on Enterprise. Ho- Hoshi, Hoshi's by far my, my favorite character on Enterprise, and and like her, Travis, I just don't think had enough stories written for him. And Anthony Montgomery is such a great actor. Travis is such a great character. I mean, he really represents, I think, the wide-eyed wonder of these these first warp uh uh these these first warp explorers out in space and he's not he's not a 24th century starfleet officer you know he's he's uh the helmsman of the first warp five ship out in deep space so you know he's not hardened he's got that wide-eyed wonder he's he's tender i mean he's travis is a nice guy he's the kind of guy that every dad wants to date his daughter i mean he's just this he's a very nice guy and you know we get to see the the feelings that he had for his family and he he was real to me and i don't think that any episode really accentuates that any better than horizon and and again to get to see the tensions that are there between him and his brother and to see him interact with his mom. I mean, again, this was long overdue. They really could have uh, spent some time in first season, even exploring uh, this even a little bit more than what we saw. You're right. I mean, this is something they could have come back to more often and they just didn't. And it's an interesting aspect that we haven't seen in the Star Trek universe before. You know, this group of humans that are working and they're making a living by delivering. And honestly, like, I, I look at this episode, and I, I work in the steel industry here in Canada, and we've got a lot of issues right now with price compression and, uh, you know, steel imports coming in from overseas, um, r- like dropping our prices and stuff. So we've had a lot of layoffs where I work uh, because of the inability to meet the demands and meet the prices that are coming in elsewhere. And th- And so when I see this episode, I think, I think about what's going on in my work environment right now in that, you know, warp five ships are coming and they can do everything quicker and faster. And so this way of life is gone right away. Right. And they, they can't really keep up with, with life. And so I think it's an interesting parable for, you know, things that are going on right now with our economy and how our economy is changing. Mm-hmm. Very good. Yeah. And, and we know that they're, they had automated ships, you know, for as as long cargo haulers in uh, the animated series, so like we're looking at getting to Kirk's time. You know, they really are. You're, you know, what you're thinking of here is that they could be, uh, they could be seeing the end. I mean, when I talk about the Wild West, you talk about the ni- the turn of the century in the United States. The car and the train change things a lot. You know, and next thing you know, there's fences, and you're not riding a horse and taking cattle to, you know, to market, you're actually putting them on a train and you're sending them somewhere. So that could actually be another uh, example of what the boomers are facing at this point. Plus what, what are they calling? You know, when, if you really want to get down to it, you want to think about the boomers, how long does it take to get from here to there? And what in the world are they hauling that could be worth the trip? Well, it's definitely not fresh produce. Exactly, exactly, exactly. 
I don't know. It could be in, you know, in stasis. It could be anything. I mean, we know, you know, we know, first of all, these, these ships, they can do, you know, warp one, two, one, you know, one, three, one, five. We know that, uh, we have colonies, uh, out there, you know, spread out in, in some of the, uh, closer systems. So, you know, this idea of, of hauling supplies, you know, out to the, to the frontier, to the, uh, you know, the, the, to some of these different, uh, uh, colonies. I, I, I mean, I, I can completely see it. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I can too. I just, someone, someone one time on on a show or on the Babel conference or something, they had mentioned, you know, like, I wonder what they're hauling, you know, it must be really expensive, you know? And, and I hadn't thought of the stasis part. I guess you could actually haul, haul fresh fruit and produce and things if they have it in stasis. Yeah, it could I, be food. It could be medical supplies. It could be, um, I was thinking know, of like a energy like a, sources, like a rare metal or element, something that they're having to get, they're sure. having to take it to a planet because they don't have it there to produce whatever they're producing, you know, or something. They, they could be hauling steel. Right. That's, that's when he was mentioning, he was talking about the steel work there in Canada. That's yeah. what I was, I was thinking of. It could be a, like a really rare or they just can't produce it wherever they're producing it. So transparent yeah, I mean, aluminum. You know, they're going to need building supplies out there in, in some of these uh, frontier colonies. So, you know, why not? Right. Very good. Self-sealing stem bolts. <laughs> right. We also, before we move on, we also can't forget the one really awesome little Easter egg in this episode. And that's the uh, the book, The Chicago Mobs of the 20s. Yes. Yep. And uh, how, like, the ship from A Piece of the Action was called The Horizon. Yes. Yeah, we actually talked about that a couple of episodes ago when I was debriefing Jeff. So Jeff had that down as one of his favorite moments of Enterprise. Uh, uh, Travis Mayweather and his book on his shelf that you can actually see in this episode ends up totally messing up the Sigmai Ocean cult civilization. You mm-hmm. bet. So yeah, that's that's a good that was a good callback, and I missed it. The first time I watched this, I actually oh totally that's it's yeah. just buried right there. You can't see that unless you're really looking for it. I totally, it was pro it was probably the third or fourth watch bef- before I ever caught it. Yeah, and I you know something something in my mind was reminding me of Horizon, and there was something about Horizon, but I didn't quite put it together. But yeah, that was a callback without calling. You know, that was just stuck there just for those fans of uh, like us that are original series fans that are you know. Th- basically an Easter egg to go look for, you know, cause I fan sure, candy. Exactly. I surely didn't catch that the first time. So yeah, that's a good call on that. Brandon, our next episode on our list here is the breach. So, uh, what, uh, what made this stand out to you or what, what part of this one stand stood out to you, Brandon? I, I really like this episode a lot because you, you know, we see this hatred between flocks and this other alien race, which I can't remember right now, right? And there is, it, it's such a parallel for things that are going on on our planet right now. Like there's there's so much hate and anger between so many people on our planet right now. And a lot of people don't even know why they hate mm-hmm. anymore. It's just built into who they are that they can't even remember. Nobody remembers why these alien races were fighting. It's been so long. And I love how flocks hates this person but we learn about him and he says how he tried to not raise his children that way you know because he didn't want it like 
I grew up with, you know, racial issues in, like, I'm a white male, right? And I mean, I grew up with certain stereotypes because of the culture that I lived in. And I do my darndest to make sure that none of those things go on to my children, mm-hmm. right? And I, I think I succeed. I really hope that I'm succeeding well. I don't, you know, I don't say anything. I don't really, I, the, I don't have those issues in my heart, I don't think. But I mean, some of those things, they crop up in my mind because it was the way that I was raised, you know, and they were just trained at a young age. Yep. Mm-hmm. I, I totally agree. I totally agree. Like I'm right there with you. Like the things that I heard when I was growing up and that is my children have no idea anything mm-hmm. about that. They, they live, they go to school in a very diverse school and everyone are friends and it doesn't matter the gender. It doesn't matter the race, religion. It doesn't matter. They're just friends. Like mm-hmm. my sons have so many friends, different friends from different walks of life that I didn't have, I didn't, I didn't have access to because I came from a small town. Uh, like my town was mostly American Indian. Like it was Choctaw Indian mostly. And so that was kind of a minority majority for the community that I grew up in, but I didn't really experience other people until I went to college, you know, and I actually, you know, I was on a college basketball team. So that was, I was, I went to another minority majority community when I went to the college basketball team. So yeah, I'm right there with you on that. I, um, hadn't actually thought about it that way, but yeah. Um, my, my sons are, I guess you could say they're kind of sheltered. I mean, they're right now they're getting up there in their elementary school. So I know they're, they're, they're going to start hearing things outside of my house, but right now, I mean, it doesn't matter what you look like or who you are. We're friends, you know, and you like video games, you like basketball, you like sports, you know, you like math. Okay. You're my friends. So yeah, I, I, I really, I'm right there with you on that one, Brandon. Um, the, uh, on, on horizon, there was something earlier, uh, with Anthony Montgomery, he went back home and he, uh, what would have happened? What, how, what if Travis decided to stay? So think about that boomers. If Travis would have stayed on the horizon, we would we could have had split stories for the rest of the series or at least the rest of the season and we could have really we could have expanded that boomer arc out um it kind of makes sense in real world terms that if travis would have left the or the enterprise with his experience that he had it kind of makes sense that he would have gone back to his home ship and helped his brother and his mother so what are, what are your thoughts on that mike well, I think if he would have stayed, then it probably, well, he definitely wouldn't have broken his ankle uh, in the cave. Uh, right. Tuck, Tucker and T- Tucker and Reed would have had to have somebody else, uh, you know, do the spelunking down there in the cave with them. Although, that, um, although yeah, it was really I, cool. It was really cool that, you know, that he had that, that, uh, he had that talent, I guess, you know, we end up finding out in the two days, two nights that he liked to climb K or cliffs. So that, that actually was pretty cool. But yeah, yeah, I, I just, I just thought, you know, if he wasn't there for the breach, like if he had a state at horizon and he had a split off, he wouldn't have been there for that, of course. But then I just, that, that just kind of dawned on me. Like if he would have stayed, how different could that have been? Well, they could have taken that plot line and led it to its natural conclusion. And, uh, 
Oh, it's been so, like in a piece of the action. Did the ship crash there, or did they just trade with them? I think they just traded. Because they, they left. Just traded. Yeah, and they, they just, just traded. They, so, like, they could have ended up with, like, they could have shown that happening, and I don't know. It might have been fun to see that, but. Right. Well, I'm, I'm sorry. I just, I got off topic. I know we were at the breach, but that, <laughs> that kind of hit me right there was like, oh, wow. You know, what if Travis would have stayed? You know, he wouldn't have been there for the, the to, to, you know, break his leg, it, like Mike said. Yeah. So, Mike, what, uh, what stands out to you on the breach? You know, I, I I share this sentiment that both you guys have. Um, one of the big overriding factors uh, for, for moving my family to a very small town in West Virginia to Dallas, Texas, was the opportunity to raise my daughter in a diverse uh, part of the country. I, I didn't want her uh, to grow up in... Um, an area in in which we come from that was, you know, very, you know, it, it, I mean, is white. I don't, I just, I don't know whatever, what else to call it. Uh, it's just a, it's a, it's a very vanilla kind of place and there's very little diversity. And I wanted her to have the opportunity to meet and interact with people uh, from, from other cultures. And uh, so as I watched this episode, I, I really have an appreciation for, Flox's position in this episode and the very thoughtful uh, writing, I think, that went into uh, the the, the storyline between the uh, Antarans and uh, the Denobulans, the, the hatred that existed between them and the, and the war and, you know, just the horrible things that were done on both sides and how you know, that had been carried over for generations and generations, just like we do, you know, in our world. And again, this is just one of those episodes in which the human condition is just opened up uh, in a way, I think, that is non-threatening for us to objectively be able to sit and take a look at that. I mean, we, we you and I, we don't have a stake in this issue that exists between the Denobulans and the Antarans. So we can look at their situation objectively and, you know, we can draw our own conclusions and we can come to the conclusion. This is ridiculous. There's no reason for this hatred to exist. Nobody even remembers why they started fighting and why that, you know, why that war happened to begin with. But this hatred has been carried. You and I can sit here and we can say that now, but, you know, it's difficult sometimes when, you know, you are, you know, part part of the problem so to speak and uh you know we can look at different chapters in our own history and we can you know draw our own conclusions based on you know where we fall into that history and so this is a great way for us to objectively explore this and and honestly i i like the b plot as well and uh you know this idea of you know having to get in there and 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 i love the way they kind of tied the two plot lines together in the end in which the antaran was going to you know spend some time on a on a vessel with the three Denobulan scientists and they're going to get to know each other a little bit. I th thought that was a great way to tie it all up at the end. And we, we got to see Denobulans climb like nobody's business. Boy, no kidding. Yeah, that is true. Um, I, you know, just thinking about that, it, that we we're talking about how enterprise really calls back to the original series. And it's, it's a great, um, it's a great relationship with the original series, but uh, thinking of a taste of Armageddon, 
where you've got the Iminiars and the Vindicars, mm-hmm. and they're fighting that war for a hundred years or hundreds of years, and they haven't even seen each other since then, but they uh, still hate each other. And I can't remember if did did one of you mention Vindicar, or was that did I just think that up myself? You're crazy, man. Okay. All right. Well, sorry. Sorry. Yeah. But yeah, I, that just hit me earlier was, um, it's similar. It's saying basically the same message. You know, you, you all have hated each other for so long. You don't even hate, you know, how could you hate each other? You don't even know each other. So yeah, it, that's definitely uh, star Trek speaking of society, you know, and depending on whether it is more, um, it's more applicable you know, as time goes along, or is it more applicable now than it was in 2003? Or is it going to be more applicable in 10 or 20 more years from now? You know, that's, that's the great thing about Star Trek. And another great Phlox episode. Again, John Billingsley gives a a fantastic performance in this episode. Just another reason why I think Phlox is, you know, bar nine, the the best alien character in Star Trek. Phlox is my favorite character on Enterprise for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, also on this, just a little, you know, getting into the fan part of this episode, I thought it was really cool that they were exploring not the surface of the planet, but under the planet on this one. So, I mean, mm-hmm. not only are we at this planet and we're be, we're going places where no man or woman has gone before, we're going under it where no man or woman has gone before. So I thought that was, pr- that was, yeah, that was pretty no neat. doubt. And then the way they filmed that, um, McNeil, Tom Paris, what's, mm-hmm. uh, my goodness. Robbie yeah. Duncan McNeil. Rob, there you go. Sorry. I had the Duncan McNeil part down. I couldn't get the first part. So Robert Duncan McNeil actually, uh, he was the director of this. And in an interview, he mentioned on how they filmed the the falling ep- part. They didn't have the budget to you know do it vertically or anything like that. So basically when you're watching this episode, if you'll turn your head sideways, they're actually dragging the actors along a floor mm. and that's how they created the effect of that. So I thought that was really a la Batman 1966. Exactly. Exactly. When they're climbing up the, up the side of the building, <laughs> right? <laughs> Just turn the camera sideways. There you go. There, that's, a, that's a cheap, quick way to do it. So yeah. yes, uh, the breach is, um, it, it's, it was. It's very interesting to me on the A and the B plot. So yeah, I highly recommend the breach. So the next one up, we've got a pretty heavy hitter, or at least it is on my book. Uh, it's mm-hmm. one of the most debated episodes in the Babel Conference. And when you talk about Enterprise episodes that come up, this is probably in the top three most debated. So cogenitor. This. Oh is- goodness! I thought you were going to say judgment. Oh no, we're not. We're not circling back around to judgment. We're, we're not, we, judgment, judgment had its day, and it, it, it got to be the uh, cliffhanger for the last show. But yeah, cogenitor. So, uh, Mike, why, why don't you get us going here with cogenitor? What's what is what stands out to you for this episode? Wow, I, I think that this was a this was a defining uh, Charles Tucker episode. I mean, trip. This this was a defining moment for him, and I think it really, in many ways, informs the character he becomes over uh, the next couple of seasons in many, many ways. Th- th- this episode has 
such a heavy moral play. We're dealing again with an alien culture that has a a different means of procreation. But beyond that, this third gender in their procreative uh, uh, matrix, if you will, is not afforded uh, the same rights as the male and female of the species. And we really see the Charles Tucker that we saw in the first season. He's very impulsive. He's very quick to, to uh, you know, pass judgment and to stick his nose in and get involved, much the same way that uh, that humans uh, seem to be uh, from time to time in Star Trek. And so, you know, he gets himself into trouble. And uh, I think it's really interesting that towards the end of the episode, he says to Captain Archer, I just I just did what you would have done. And Captain Archer says to him, yeah, really? You know, and but in truth, uh, I, I I'm not so sure that uh, Archer would not have uh, gotten involved in that somehow. So I think there was a little bit of a double standard, uh, I, I think, in, in the episode between uh, Tucker and Archer. Yeah, my the standout for me, the standout moment is Archer's dressing down of Tucker. And when he yeah. says that, boy, that is a slicing comment for him, you know, to say, I was just doing what you're doing. And then I'm like, man, if that's true, then what kind of a model, you know, is being set here, you know? But, but you know, what was really defining for me, uh, Floyd, at the, at the very end of the episode, the consequences that came with, uh, Tucker's good intentions of trying to do something good for, for this person, the, the cogenitor. And that had, such heavy consequences at the end of the episode. And so you're sitting there watching the episode, but, but he, you know, he tried to do something good. He tried to do a good thing. And, you know, at the end of the episode, he's got to live with honestly, her blood on his hands. And, uh, wow. You know, all I can say to that is wow. Yep. And then, like you said, good, he's trying to do something good, but it's good for who, like based on what standard, you know, mm-hmm. on what standard is good. So Brandon, what, what do you think on that? Why don't you jump in on that? Uh, I think this is a very powerful episode and it's a very good one to watch. It's not an easy episode to watch at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the first thing that I want to say before I get into it is I love seeing Andreas Katsoulis in this episode. You know, he's, uh, he was the one armed man in the, in the fugitive and he was, uh, Tomalock on the next generation and stuff. And it's, you usually see him as the shady bad character. So to see him as this nice character is really nice. I think it is a really good job in the episode, but you know, watching this episode, there's so much in it. And I watched this episode, I, I, and I can only watch it from my perspective, which is a heterosexual white male who's, you know, had led a pretty privileged life. And you, you watch this episode, and people can pull so much out of this. Now, when I watch this, the story that I pull out of this is slavery, right mm-hmm. because this person is almost like a slave to the culture and that's 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 the closest thing that i can come up with it a lot of people bring up transgendered issues and stuff i i don't see those issues in the story as my, as well but that's the great thing about star trek is that you can pull multiple issues out of an episode yeah. like this and watching something like this i i love this kind of episode because you can pull some so much out of it but then in our own society how many different people stand up and say what you're doing in your society is wrong 
You know, like we, 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 we have an issue in Canada right now where, um, they, women with burqas, um, a lot of people don't want them to wear their burqas when they say their pledge of allegiance to Canada, uh, and because you can't see their faces and stuff and, and people stand up and say it's wrong. Burqas are wrong. They treat their people wrong. And I think of this episode when I when I see issues like that, and it's us telling other people that their culture is wrong. But it's that's how they're raised, and we don't know their culture. We only mm-hmm. know what our culture is. Now, I'm not trying to turn this into I'm saying what they do in their culture is right. That's not what I'm I'm just saying that that happens in our society so much where people stand up to fight for somebody, at, but this person's not asking to be fought for. Right. right. This person doesn't know any better in the situation that they're in. They are 3% of this population and they are there to help produce offspring and they're needed in order to produce offspring. And the the interesting aspect of this episode is what if we all of a sudden we have these people and none of these cogenitors want to want to be used as offspring bearing anymore because of the situation. Mm-hmm. Well that culture's going to die. Yeah. Because of the uh, because of what we've imposed on them. Yeah. And it it, it it brings these fascinating subjects up. And I think this is one of the most powerful episodes of it. And and I I love it. It's great. And I love that they do not pull any punches at the end of the episode and that this cogenitor commits suicide at the end of the episode because there are some serious ramifications and people need to think when they take actions like this and try and impose their beliefs on other people. Yep. I agree. I agree. I look at that and I've thought about that is if trip had been successful, he could have ended their race. Like they Mm -hmm. may not have ever, um, they could have just ceased to exist. If there was a mutiny or something of this, um, if I, I just, I don't know, you know, when you think about it with a unique individual, the unique individual saw this and she was really looking up to trip and trip was doing what he was doing. Um, I just wonder if it could have even possibly even went widespread. Like, would e- would even any others have even seen it in the way that she did if she wasn't being influenced directly by Trip? Or I say I say she, but it was actually a non-gender species. I mm-hmm. just I just say she. Right, right. But yeah, I I've seen people like on the Babel conference and in other Facebook groups and online on, you know, comments. And they, I've seen some that uh, dress down trip and I see some that defend trip. You know, they see, well, she, you know, she has rights and she has these, you know, she shouldn't be treated like this. She's basically just a pet, you know, that they're keeping in the, in a room in a closet or whatever. And she doesn't get to leave and just like we, you know, someone might leave their dog or their cat at home. That's how they're kind of treating this person. That does, she doesn't have a name. I keep saying mm-hmm. she. I'm sorry, but it's it's hard because I believe it was an actress that was playing this. It, so. Yeah, it, yeah, it was. We so know we know what you're right. Talking. Okay, mm-hmm. but we, we it's, but that's just it too as well. Like Floyd, just put pause for a second. It, it's it, and it's wonderful because this is such an abstract concept that that has a hard time to grasp like as a and we can't grasp ourselves we don't want to call it an it right exactly mm-hmm. right we don't want to call it an it but i mean it, it, in a nutshell basically with what this society is it is an it right right because it's not a male and it's not a female it's mm-hmm. we see it as a female cuz she's portrayed by a female actress and so that's what we're calling her a she right? right but but i mean i we ask questions and and that's what i think this episode is for 
It's opening the door to ask questions to try and understand issues that are so hard for us to understand and cause so many issues in our society. It's fascinating because I can see, I can, I can really see both sides of this. When we first meet Trip, he in and broke a bow. He is on a space station, and he sees a mother weaning her child. He doesn't understand what's going on. All he sees in his, you know, southern gentleman, defender of the downtrodden kind of mentality is a child being abused by its his mother. And, you know, he's going to intervene. He's going to act. He's going to do something to help. That's that's how he's wired. And I appreciate that. I'm a, you know, I'm a, I'm a southern guy. I'm a gentleman myself. And, you know, you see somebody being hurt and you, you want to take action. You want to do something to help. But as to Paul points out to him, things aren't always as they seem out here and you can't just jump to conclusions and you you shouldn't in in my own words she said you shouldn't just go sticking your nose in everybody's business because you perceive something's wrong things are different out here and this ties into something that we just had a conversation about on my show metatrex episode 46 in which we talked with author duncan barrett uh, who wrote Star Trek The Human Frontier, we had a conversation about human exceptionalism. And this really this this really ties into that because in, in Tripp's mind, you know, human beings are exceptional and and this is this is a kind of imposing that exceptionalism. He, you know, I had the opportunity to read and write and here's somebody who who hasn't had that opportunity and doggone it, I'm gonna I'm gonna go to her aid. I'm going to impose my culture and my exceptionalism on her. It's much the same way, you know, Floyd, you, you've mentioned previously that uh, you're, you're Choctaw Indian. I think about, you know, the way Europeans came into uh, the the Americas and imposed Western culture on Native Americans. Uh, you know, we accomplished something because we, you know, we managed to get them to dress in Western clothes and speak, you know, the King's English you know when in fact we were we were dismantling a, a a beautiful nuanced culture and you know this is an it in this culture and there are few of them there are not many of them there are only few that's why they're its because they have to be passed around you can't form relationships or bond with it because as soon as it's done giving you the the uh uh the enzyme that's needed to procreate, it has to be passed on to somebody else. But that's so foreign to Trip, and he just feels this need to act. But what he doesn't realize is that those actions come with incredible consequences in the end. And I think it's a, I think it's a commentary for us to, to think about those consequences before we stick our nose in somebody else's business. And that happens so often on social media. You know, people, they just take a look at the headline and people make a jump conclusion without knowing all the facts, Mm -hmm. right? And you can't do it. It's dangerous to do that. You know, like I I think, uh, and I'm guilty of it. I think of that situation that happened with with that woman and her child and the gorilla, right? Where the kid fell into the cage. And I mean, I know that I had my own limitations because I have kids and I'm like, well, why wasn't she watching them? And that was my initial reaction. But it's like, I stopped and thought about it for a while. And it's like, this woman's got enough issues to deal with that she's, her child almost died. And now she's got the entirety of society attacking her Mm -hmm. over a situation that she already feels bad enough about. Yeah. You know? And so here's a situation. So Trip tried, all I want to do is teach her how to read. 
And she kills herself because he completely changed her life yeah. and completely changed her point of view. And she's an important part of that society as she was. And I mean, I'm so grateful that this isn't something that actually happens on our planet because <laughs> we can't wrap our minds around something like this because it's I so know. foreign. But that's what makes Star Trek so wonderful is to be able to sit here and say, how can we apply this to what we know? Right. I think the big takeaway here, we've all, you know, we've all seen those pictures that people post where they're standing, you know, at a distance from say uh, the Eiffel tower or the statue of Liberty or, you know, whatever, whatever giant landmark you want to, you want to stick in there. You know, they're standing at a diff at a distance and they're framing that object between, you know, their, their pinched fingers as though they were holding the Eiffel tower between their fingers. You know, that's, that's what happens. I think so many times you mentioned social media, Bichet, and you're exactly right. I mean, we have this tendency to frame things from a distance and it's, it's easy to do. And when you frame things from a distance, you don't really understand it. I mean, how can you stand at a distance from something, say the size of uh, the Eiffel tower how can you really understand the architecture of the Eiffel Tower standing, you know, a mile away from it with it framed between your fingers? It's when you get up close and personal that you really understand it. And I think it's the same way in in culture and societies. You know, it's 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 you know, really like what we do in our in our own world. When we stand at a distance, it's easy to snap you know, snap judge everything and, you know, litter our opinions on everything out there that's going on in the world. But when you get up close and personal and you really get intimate with what's going on and you really understand it, it, it becomes uh, sometimes more complicated and more nuanced and it's a little harder to snap to, to judgments and you, you really get a greater understanding. So, you know, I think that's the big takeaway is to, is to really frame things uh, a little bit, a little bit bigger and a little bit closer before you know before you open your mouth and get involved and like you both have mentioned we can't even we, we really shouldn't interfere in our own planet like we have there's other cultures and there's other other ways of doing things i mean we have a basic when we talk about basic human rights and then we you know some of those are imposed on because we're all human on this planet but now you're talking about a completely different civilization on a different planet in a different part of the galaxy when we're talking about it on Star Trek. I mean, you you the rules are complicated just here on our own planet. So now they don't even apply. It's a completely different game with a completely different set of rules. You know, it's not even it's not even a game that we recognize as even and maybe even a game. That's how alien it is. And it's on a completely mm -hmm. different planet. And then the callback to um, Chirrup in Broken Bow, I actually mentioned that on the commentary, is that that's going to come back to body him in Cogenitor. Mm -hmm, and I have mm -hmm. to say, um, like, this this is one of the most debated episodes. And it has so, it touches people in so many different ways, like ways that I never even thought of. And it's, I mean, this is really, this is what Star Trek really does what I, what I think the great message that Star Trek does is that it starts, it makes people ask questions. It makes people get into a conversation. This episode is one of the reasons why we have the prime directive and why the prime directive I think is so important in the Star Trek universe. But, you know, at the end of the day, the prime directive isn't the end all be all because, you know, we go over to, 
uh, Star Trek The Next Generation, and we have a very similar storyline that involves Commander Riker, and he does something very similar in that episode uh, with not quite as, uh, you know, sweeping consequences, but certainly it has its own very heavy consequences of its own. So, but again, th- this is why we have the Prime Directive, and honestly, I think there's some wisdom uh, in the Prime Directive that I think is, ap- is applicable in our own society here today. Uh, yeah, I absolutely. agree. Yeah, this is a huge, huge episode. Um, I think it's a it's a very good example of showing how human rights beliefs um, are only for human species. So then that's also a callback to I always think of uh, Star Trek Six, where Chekhov mentions the inalienable human rights, and mm-hmm. the Klingon uh, female just you know gives him a zinger when she talks about listen to you. That's that's speciesist in its own, just calling it human rights. We're not human. We're Klingons. You know, we're, yeah. we're not even from here. Um, but yeah, uh, many, many defend trip, you know, saying that that, well, that's the thing that you should do. That's the thing you should do. Ah, you know, it's, it's hard. Like you can see both sides of the equation and that's, that's when you know, you've got a great episode. Right. Yeah. And I would gladly watch judgment if I can get a cogenitor. <laughs> <laughs> Make it a double feature. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, to, to me, I just think you have to think larger than just your own like relative existence here on earth. You know, if you're, yeah. if you're really going to go be an astronaut and you're really going to go out there and you're going to see new civilizations and st- seek out, you know, strange new life, um, you're going to have to think beyond earth. You're going to have to think beyond mm-hmm. your own country, your own neighborhood, your own belief system and realize that even just here on earth, we have different, values, customs, and beliefs just here. It doesn't matter if they're right or wrong or what you think they're right or wrong, because for someone else, they're right. And, mm-hmm. you know, just galactic scale, it's just, it's it's as hard to fathom as it is the size of the galaxy or the size of the universe with how different things could be. And we couldn't say even people, how different people are going to be, because that's a human term. You know, how different other beings are going to be. But just to uh, ending that episode, like you mentioned, it doesn't end with a fairy tale ending. And I really, Mm. really appreciate that. Like there is Mm. consequences and it's severe consequences. And I have to say that the dressing down that Archer gives Trip would be tame compared to how I was the first time I watched this episode. I, boy... You know, Bakula really plays it hard, and he, I mean, even like the jump in the face, and boy, it it would be, I just, I see, man, that, that the walls would be bending. I would be pushing out so much uh, voice on that one. So, uh, so what do you, are there any other final thoughts on Cogenitor? I know this was kind of a big topic and I knew it was coming. So it, <laughs> no, we should probably move on okay. before we turn this into a three part <laughs> okay. retrospective. Well, we, Indeed. I definitely want to come back and revisit Cogenitor. Like I've always had that idea to when <laughs> I was going to be the host of Warp five, I wanted Cogenitor to be its own separate, you know, and I might, you know, bring in uh, maybe some guests in that maybe, you know, in defensive trip or in there's your next commentary episode. Yeah, exactly. And like a defensive trip versus a, a defense of Archer. But like you said, Mike, if Archer had been there, 
he may have been yeah. doing what Trip was doing. He may have been trying to yeah. help out. But, but he, I'm not so sure he wouldn't have. Right. And, mm. but by him being a third party in this and being able to step back and it's already happened, he has the luxury of only seeing the results of it. So yeah. that is interesting to think about that way also, but we'll continue on with our retrospective. That was a good talk on that. Atlanta. And I'll just say that Archer had something riding on this and that was the relationship that he had built. Uh, with this other captain. I mean, so few alien species out there, you know, that they ran into that uh, were friendly. And I, I think uh, I, I think that motivated Archer a little bit as well. Yeah, that's true. And it, it was nice. I mean, they were very advanced, but they were also very open to share and be friends. So mm-hmm. that that was that is true. There was definitely... especially cheese. They like to share cheese. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Actually, I'd forgotten about that because uh... <laughs> that's something they have in common with Porthos, too. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, there you go. So continuing on the keeping the train going here and we have regeneration. So I know this was actually a topic that came up in a uh, enterprise fans uh, group just this past week. And people were either talking about how they thought it was awesome that the Borg showed up. And then some thought it was just that was just something that they didn't like about Enterprise is that they had a callback and it messed things up with canon and it messed things up with. Uh, the continuity, but Mike, I think you and I are thinking kind of the same thing here. So what, what do you think about this, Mike? I'm definitely team awesome on this episode. Uh, For me, this really was a great callback to first contact. I mean, we know that, uh, that, that the Borg went back in time and, you know, tried to present or uh, prevent rather, uh, Zephram Cochran's, uh, Phoenix flight. And so I think it stands to reason that, you know, there might be some corpses in the Arctic here. And so that's, you know, that's where this all come from. And, you know, for that matter, I think, uh, by and large, um, somewhat trim the claws of the of the Borg and I'm really glad that we gave them teeth again I mean the Borg are uh, the Borg are scary and they're formidable and uh in in this episode so I I was glad for that and then at the end it kind of becomes its own self-fulfilling causal loop because you know they're headed back to the Delta Quadrant and you know they they get that signal off and when they do the calculations, hey, guess what? You guess when the Borg are going to receive that that, that signal about the time that uh, you know first uh, next generation pops up. Yep, very good. Yeah, I when I, that popped up, I was like, yes, first contact. And I hadn't even thought about that uh, sphere blowing up, you know, and where it could mm-hmm. have gone. But when you go back and watch first contact, it does. It there's pieces of it that fly away. So, mm-hmm. yeah, you thought when it blew up, that was the end, you know, and then I, I know there's some people that talk about it is that Picard wouldn't have left, you know, Borg on Earth, you know, but I got I mean, I'm not I guess I look at it from the point of view as I'm not that big of a Picard fan. You know, I'm more of a Kirk Archer <laughs> You know, Janeway, Cisco, you know, Picard is not my number one. I'm sorry. I, hopefully I didn't lose any fans here, you know, for any boomers that have Picard like really highly ranked. But I, you know, he doesn't have, I mean, he's just human. There was a lot going on. You know, we had the first flight and they, they had to hide before the Vulcans came in for first contact. So they could have left some Borg, you know, debris 
you know, I mean, yeah, I mean, let's let's be honest here. And there's there's probably going to be some Picard fans that are going to just, you know, lay into me over this. But I mean, let's face the facts, guys. Picard went back to his own century, really licking his wounds. And I don't think uh, he really was thinking a whole lot about, you know, cleaning the mess up. I, th- I think he was, you know, more concerned with the state of his own ship and his own crew. And, you know, he was licking his wounds going back home. So I I, th- I think this is plausible. I think it's a plausible storyline. And again, it becomes its own self-fulfilling causal loop. It's It's a beautiful thing when you think about it. Yep. So Brandon, what did what did you think about seeing the Borg here on Enterprise? I think Star Trek fans place a little bit too much on continuity and canon and da 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 da. Like, you know, if you're making a good story, let's just let's make a good story. Like, I, I'm more concerned with why did Scotty come out of the transporter beam wondering where Kirk was when he was there when he died, right? <laughs> so, um, but I think the episode's fine. I think it's good writing. I, I wish that at the end the signal had not been sent. Because honestly, I hate that time loop paradox nonsense, right? Like this temporal causality, <laughs> like like on the Terminator, like the Terminator doesn't make any sense, right? How could how can he go back in time to make him and make John Connor and I don't know, I, my timeline time's linear, and I I don't believe time travel's possible, okay? But that's a whole other conversation, right? Oh. But you um, attended the Vulcan Science Academy, apparently. Yeah, yeah, yeah totally. Okay. I I am totally with the Vulcans on this one. Yeah, I believe that the Vulcans exist, but time travel doesn't. <laughs> Anyways, but I, I mean, give me a good story. And I think this one's just fine. I think it's fun. I mean, yes, they never say that they're the Borg, so you're okay. And uh, I, I like some fun stuff. Like Phlox is basically immune to being, you know, uh, 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 assimilated. And I, I think it's fun. I mean, a cogenitor's better, but I mean, you know, it's a fun episode to watch. Yeah, I I thought it was a cool continuity comparing it to First Contact. But then, you know, there are some fans that think that it's killing continuity because, you know, the Borg were there. And then, well, why didn't Picard know about the Borg when they saw the Borg? You know, why didn't he know? And one thing that Jeff Harlan had mentioned one time when he mentioned uh, regeneration in Borg was he mentioned that the Borg actually had started trying to assimilate the NX-01. So there was a possibility that he thought maybe there was a possibility it could have corrupt records, you know, so there might not be a record. And then with the way it all happened, you know, I mean, we're, we're talking old school here, you know, maybe they just, they just didn't write it down, you know, again, or when they did, it was just talking. I mean, how many species of different beings are there that are cybernetic or cybernetic like Mm -hmm. in space? They didn't mention the Borg. They didn't see a cube. So even if Picard would have seen the reference to this, it's, it's only similar to other references. I mean, V'ger uh, is a huge cybernetic style uh, alien, you know, in Kirk's time. And that's between Picard and Archer. And I don't, I don't know. I just, I mean, we know it's the Borg, but they don't know it's the Borg. And that's sometimes, I think, sometimes Star Trek fans uh, or, you know, when they're watching the shows, they don't realize, like, what a prequel is really about. You know, I mean, Mm -hmm. this is before what we know. Yeah, we're in on it because we've been watching it since the 60s. But, okay, so what if this was filmed in the 40s? (laughs) You know, would that make more sense? You know, I don't know. See, the thing with that is future tense. When they open up that thing, they say the guy's human and they're like, is this Zephram Cochran? We know it's not Zephram Conklin. Right. 
Mm-hmm. Right? These guys don't know it's the Borg. But right. as soon as these Borg come up, here we are. We start thinking, how is this? How did this happen? Well, it's because of Star Trek First Contact. And it makes you think of other things in Star Trek, which is what it's supposed to do as a prequel. And that's good writing. Yeah. Yeah. And I even thought, you know, like John Carpenter's The Thing, which I think we've mentioned that before for another, something else here on Warp 5. We've mentioned it. But I really, I dig the Arctic scene. You know, it feels like an X-Files or it feels mm-hmm. like a movie, you know, like a, a sci-fi movie, you know, and this is just an episode of enterprise, you know? So I thought that was, I thought it was pretty cool. So yeah. um, the next episode on our list here would be first flight, but we actually mentioned that. in um, mm-hmm. the last time that we were talking about the second part of se- season two. So we're just going to go ahead and we put that down. It's already in the log. So we're going to jump here to bounty. So Mike, what did you think about seeing, uh, tellerites with with fingers as opposed to who yeah so so i probably feel about bounty the way bichet feels about judgment the only thing that i like about this episode you know is uh tellerites uh, that's it that that is absolutely it for me i don't think we got enough tellerites in enterprise in star trek as a whole but you know we we got some tellerites and we got uh, Robert O'Reilly, I believe, uh, in this episode too, which is always great yeah. uh, to see Bob O'Reilly. But uh, you know, Tellerites—that's that's the only thing I, I think that's any good about this episode. Okay, so I I think Larry Nemechek—he's a huge fan of Tellerites, so this might even be one of his favorite episodes, just because it's a tell it's a Tellerite episode. Um, but yeah, I don't think they did him any justice. That's for sure. <laughs> okay, so Brandon, what do you think about Bounty? Okay, so we're talking about Bounty. This makes me think about how much Star Trek fandom upsets me. Okay, so much. Because you got all these people online right now. Star Trek Discovery is coming out, and they're all complaining about how, oh, they're going to update the bridge, and they're going to change this, and they're going to change the makeup on that. The Tellarites look freaking awesome in this episode. Yes, they do. And they look like a bazillion times better than they did in the original series. And I'm so happy with what they did with the Tellarites. I'm not quite happy with their attitudes because they're not angry enough as Tellerites mm-hmm. have kind of been established as confrontational and you know so this I'm not quite happy with that but I really do like the Tellerite half of this episode to Paul's early Ponfar is just painful in this episode and I I would rather not talk about it yeah because yeah <laughs> Yeah, I I really appreciate the makeup for the Tellarite. I appreciate that he has fingers. I mean, I I heard I think Larry may have mentioned that they had already designed the sets for it. So then when he came in and said, "Hey, you're supposed to have a hoof," well, they'd already made it to where it had to have fingers in order to use the set. Mm-hmm. You know, like to use the control panel or something. But uh, again, this is a prequel, folks. This is a hundred years before the hoofed. Tellerites that we see on the original series that are going to go attend the Babel conference. So um, you have to think, you know, if they have hands a hundred years before, like there is some kind of a retro plastic surgery, like fad going on during Kirk's time, mm-hmm. maybe augment DNA, augment DNA, totally made that <laughs> right. Or it's like an opposite. It's like opposite evolution for them. I mean, we're, we're trying to apply human pig 
smoothed out those fingers. If it smooths Just, out the Klingon's head, it's going to smooth out those right, fingers. Right, right. So I'm with Bichet. Augment DNA. <laughs> that 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 answers it all. Man, that does that yeah. that messes that just messes up everything. And that's why they're so pissy <laughs> later on and not in this one. They get that augment DNA and it like, damn, yeah, this is great. Right, look what happened to my hand, <laughs> you know. Yeah, okay. I get that. I'd be angry too if I had a hoof. I get that. I get that. All right. So yeah. Plus you get the aggressive nature of the aug- augments. I mean, it just makes sense to me. Okay, man. We yeah. So we That's that's our that's our official fan theory here in the uh in the mess hall. Right. And we just found another dial up We found another uh excuse for Brent Spiner to come into another, you know, episode there. So now <laughs> now we're gonna have not just the Klingons that are being affected, but the Tellarites are being affected later. It's gonna right? screw with the Tellarites. Right. Okay. Uh, but I thought it was pretty interesting to have bounty hunters in Star Trek. Like we saw bounty mm-hmm. hunters in Star Wars, but I thought that was kind of a neat idea that you know, but how honorable is it for Klingons, you know, that are, I guess they don't have to be as honorable as they say they are later since it is the prequel Klingons, the, the proto Klingons, but it doesn't seem like that would be a very Klingon thing to do of the Klingons that we know later to hire a bounty hunter to go hunt someone for them. So, um, what did you think about bounty hunters on seeing them in Star Trek? I'm okay with the bounty hunters themselves. I think it's a. I think it's totally something that would be happening in the universe, right? right? Like, and, we, and we just for sure, just like with the boomers, you know, they're they're making a living, you know, and that you know you gotta mm-hmm. go, you gotta go catch fugitives. So just think about this. Just mm-hmm. think about how many bounty hunters are chasing Captain Kirk, you know, during season three, season four of the original series. Man, there's all kinds of bounty hunters trying to find this guy with the messes he was leaving everywhere. I can't wait to see Boba Fett. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yes, Jason. There you go. Boba Fett will be played in this episode by Jeffrey Combs. Right, exactly. Exactly. And so um, we come to the expanse. So um, I can say that that opening scene for the expanse, I thought I was watching a different sci fi show. Like it didn't feel like Star Trek. It was like, what happened? What did I miss? Of course, the first time I saw this, I was missing a lot of episodes, you know, with UPN changing the schedule and things like that. I wasn't able to catch it in order. So I was afraid I'd miss something. When I saw the beginning of this episode, this uh, alien device, you know, cutting a piece out of Florida, man, I was I was just thrown back big time. So, Brandon, what, what did you think when you saw that scene? Uh, I think that this episode is 50% really good, and the stuff dealing with The Expanse is great, and the stuff dealing with uh, with the Klingons is not very good. <laughs> it's just so sad. It is so sad. Like, do we really need Duras? Do we really need Duras? No, right. we don't need Duras. Well, it's, it's that one okay. family that but, just gets just twerthed like, by humans. Man, They just that's their kryptonite. You know, the I'm just so glad that they finally killed him off dear lord thank god right. yes yes that was my, that was my exact thank god <laughs> just, i was so glad that they finally killed him off so so that i mean he, he was he was like a i don't i don't know like a like an annoying you know yappy little dog you know yeah. it just that it's it's just horrible. It's just painful to watch. He is painful to watch, and you have no honor. So here, go and try and earn your honor back again. Right. Yeah, yeah that's true. Yeah, and like it's painful. Even his te- his testimony during judgment, it, he just seemed like such a puppet. 
you know, just like oh, it's just painful. Like, it's like, painful like, to watch. Yeah. So here, Judgment gets another callback for this episode. But I'm I'm sorry about that, Brandon. You know, we should we're gonna start the drinking game, the Warp Five drinking game. Every time we mention Judgment, take a drink. Right. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> but yeah, um, the Expanse, like like you know that opening scene, and then like the canyon scene where it showed a uh, trip. And Malcolm standing there mm. and Tripp was talking about how he went to the, he went like his high school or something was right there. And he went to that movie theater, um, man, that was just powerful, powerful. And it, mm. it really, really, really drummed up feelings for me, um, for, uh, nine 11, you know, the powerful mm. feelings of seeing this attack and I, uh, boy, it was, it was very powerful for me. So, uh, Mike, what uh, what other items stand out to you from this episode? Well, definitely that that element of uh, of nine eleven. Um, I, I think that this uh, is a very emotional episode uh, for anyone who was alive and can recall those events. It's it's a it's a sobering episode. It it drums up uh, lots of you know lots of, of feelings, and so the you know this episode I agree, Bichet was fifty percent good. Uh, it's it's overall it's a it's a good episode. I th- I think it was a great cliffhanger uh, to kind of mm. end the season on you know because there was that you know oh my gosh what's going to happen next they've just you know they've just gone into this expanse and are they all going to go crazy like the Vulcans did and you know who are these you know, who, who's this alien species that's, you know, that's attacked it. So it was a great cliffhanger. I, I think it was a great way to end what I think is, is a fantastic season of Star Trek. Yep. Mm-hmm. I agree with you for sure. Like, uh, the, as a Canadian, I mean, I remember when nine eleven happened. I remember where I was, you know, I was, I was going to the bank to get some money and I saw something happening on the news, but I don't, I don't really pay attention to the news myself. And um, it was actually after that, and I was like out and about getting a coffee or something, and somebody was telling me what's going on, and I'm like, oh my goodness! So I like ran to my uncle's house to watch the news. Mm-hmm. But I mean, as a Canadian, I mean, nine eleven is something that happened in the world, but it yeah. doesn't really affect me as a Canadian, right? So mm-hmm. I sometimes miss these parallels, these nine eleven parables that that are out there and and that affect Americans because that's something that happened to America. And I'm a Canadian. It didn't really yeah. happen to me, right? It's just something that happened, and and now I have to take my shoes off at the airport, right? So, <laughs> right. But, but um, it's it. I I do see the connection for sure, absolutely. Um, but it doesn't have the same impact as me. I mean, it's yeah. still a powerful episode, and it's still you know I think a great lead in, and a great change to the show, and. I personally like what happened to season three. Um, I, I like the change, and I like that they were trying brave new things and trying to stretch the rings, their wings as writers and say, how can we make this fresh and new? Yeah. You know, I, I think about, you know, your, your perspective there as a Canadian. I, I, I think that's really fascinating. I, I think about the vintage footage of the, the newsreel footage of the Hindenburg going down. And here is, you know, here's the Hindenburg and here's an American uh, news reporter, you know, reporting on it. And he's just, he's just crying out. He's just crying all the humanity, all the humanity. And, uh, you know, certainly whether you're an American or a Canadian or, or, you know, whether you're watching uh, Star Trek in the UK um, I, I think we all can recognize the, the the impact, and certainly being an American television show, you know that was 
that was kind of the perspective that was that was folded into this episode. And I, th- I think as uh, the the world seems to be coming, uh, be becoming increasingly violent. Um, it, it's a shame because I think uh, whether you, you live in Canada or the UK or anywhere in the world, you know, we all have this kind of touch touchstone um, moment in our country or our culture where, uh, you know, tragedy has struck and lives have been lost. And, you know, when I watch this episode, I, I, I relate to Trip and I, I feel his anger. And, uh, you know, when he says to, you know, uh, Captain Archer, you know, listen, are we going to go in there and do whatever it takes? And Archer said, yeah, whatever it takes. You know, I, I, that, that was the, that was the feeling in, in America after 9-11. And, and again, I, I, I think we've all, you know, if you were in, uh, you know, Great Britain, you know, during World War II, when the Germans were dropping bombs in the neighborhoods, you know, you, you had that same whatever it takes kind of feeling. And, uh, you know, to end the, end the season like that and, you know, kind of that, you know, oh, oh my goodness, what's going to happen next season. Uh, and then for them to, uh, I'm jumping ahead, but for them to kind of dedicate the whole next season to that arc, um, you know, wow, I, I'm actually probably one of the few uh, Enterprise fans that uh, appreciate the third season, but I do. And um, I, I do for that reason, because uh, it, it was a great... Uh, I, I think it was a great roadmap, I think, for uh, our own society, our own culture to, you know, kind of look at the way that they turned those negative feelings uh, to something benevolent and peaceful. And uh, Archer's perspective changed, even Tripp's uh, perspective changed. And it changed because, as we were talking about before, you know, they stopped framing this uh, from a distance and they got up close and personal and they got to know the Zindi, they got to know Degra and they found out, you know what, you know, we're not that much different. Right. Yeah. There was definitely an elemental change in the crew, you know, and Archer, you know, was, he's, he's right there at the front, but Trip, everyone was affected by this mm-hmm. and they're affected for the rest of the series, you know, for the rest of the run yeah. all the way until the end of season four. And if it would have gone on, we probably would have still been re- dealing with the repercussions of this. Um, this is where Archer unbuttons his buttons, the top button on his uniform mm-hmm. and his hair changes. And that button doesn't go back for a long time. If you go back, like watching Broken Bow for our commentary uh, for a couple of shows ago, um, the button's all buttoned up and his hair's all nice and perfect. And it's like first day of school kind of stuff. And but that this is it just you could almost just see him aging you know, with Bacula, the way they did the makeup and just the way mm-hmm. they did this, it was just a, a toll. I feel the toll when I watch this, especially when I binge season three. It just, this mm-hmm. is the beginning right now of a, just a huge roller coaster that they're about to get on. So, yeah, this, is, this informs the rest of the series, every nuance of the series without a doubt. And for that matter, there are fans out there who, argue that enterprise really didn't give anything to uh to to star trek as a whole and uh i i just throw this this particular episode out there and say you know this did this this informed i think really in many ways uh star trek as a whole and in fact i think uh i i think they did a wonderful job of recognizing that in star trek beyond Mm -hmm. very good yep 
Yeah, what you were saying there, Floyd, I totally understand what you're saying with tar- with uh, Archer unbuttoning his top button there. Like, I do that with my pants after Thanksgiving dinner. <laughs> you know, like, you, there's just so much pressure, and it's just uncomfortable. Right. Uh, he's wearing the jumpsuit, so, you know, the unbuttoning the pants didn't really work for him. But he can start with the top button. I guess that's your pants have the top button. So, yeah. <laughs> So, uh, Bichet, what are your final thoughts about this uh, this run here? We've had a, a kind of a part one, part two of season two here, the end of season two. So, what do you think about what? Like, what's your final thoughts about the first first season and second season here? Why don't people like season two? It's great. I don't know. I, I that's all I gotta say. Got some... There's some really great treasures in here, and I I, I really like season two a lot. Um, I, I personally like season two more than I like season three. I like season three just fine, but I don't know. Uh, you know, I think season two and season four are probably my two you know two favorites. And uh, I, I like I like season four because it's so fun, but the fan service is fun and it angers me, right? Because, you know, do we need this much fan service? But it's so fun to watch. And, you know, so I I, I really like season two and it probably is my favorite season overall. Yeah, if you think about it, the fans there is fan service in season two, but it's very mm-hmm. mild. It's very, you better be watching yeah. and you better be paying attention. You better be a fan or you're not going to catch this. So Well, it's not mild in judgment. Well, yeah, that's true. That's pretty much... Yeah, yeah, we won't talk about judgment again. So now we've said it tw- two more times. Drink. Two more shots for you, right there, boomers. All right. So, uh, Mike, what what are you what what are your thoughts here as we end season two of our retrospective? Yeah. So going back to last week's episode, and you know, taking a look at these twelve, thirteen episodes as a whole. I mean, really, guys, we've come to the conclusion that there are only really a couple of stinkers in the whole bunch. So, you know, I I think by any measure, that's that's a pretty impressive uh, half a season of, of episodes. I mean, you have 12, 13 episodes, you have a couple of stinkers. So really, you have 10 or 11 really good, strong episodes. And I think you get that. And, I, I you know, in television as it was then, I mean, I can't think of a single season of The Next Generation in which you get, uh, you know, that many strong episodes piled into a season. So, uh, th- this was a, this was a great discussion. This is a great season of enterprise. Uh, I hope, I hope that, uh, I hope that we, uh, maybe in the course of our discussion really in- encouraged folks to, uh, give these a second look if they've, if they've looked at them before, maybe, maybe if you've not watched the, uh, uh the series a whole lot, go back and, and really thoughtfully, uh, you know, give these episodes a watch and, you know, look for these deep threads, this fantastic writing, there's great acting. It's really got it all. Yeah. Even in the episodes that were, is, uh, you know, it's this kind of meh, maybe about, uh, they still have something to really appreciate. You've still got great makeup. You've still got, uh, some, some nice, maybe questions going on, some philosophical questions. And I personally really like season two. I mean, I like, I like all four seasons, uh, season one and season two, I kind of put together as, you know, the, the future for us, you know, this is what it would be like if we were going out there. Season three is its own arc. Um, and then season four is its own, you know, and they kind of are different, uh, season one and season two. I'm really, I'm, I really like them. I mean, um, I like season three for what it is. And then I like season four for what it is, but season, season one and season two, they just seem very, very close to the original series, which, you know, that's sentimental reasons. That's really a a big favorite of mine. 
And I had so much fun talking about him. I barely touched my pan fried catfish and I didn't even put a fork in my pecan pie. So I'm hoping chef will be able to wrap these up for me to go. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Maybe we can do that, but you're, you're not going to take the transporter. Are you, you're going to, you're going to take a shuttle pod, right? <laughs> Ta- yeah. I'm going to take a shuttle pod. Okay. Yeah. But I mean, the transporter will work for you. You know, if you, if you want. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I, I don't, I don't think I want uh, pecan pie integrated into my DNA sequence. Oh, okay. As long, as long as it's like, you know, I guess attached to your jaw, maybe or something, <laughs> the inside of your mouth, not the outside, right? So yeah, it's it's been a lot of fun discussing how Tellarites possibly could be so mad because of augmented DNA. But this isn't the only topic we've been talking about here on Trek FM. So here's what else you may have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek.fm, Standard Orbit. So going to Destination Star Trek and being able to see the crew, you know, some of the crew, some of the major, you know, still living members of the 60s original series crew, well, it was a, it's a bit of a bucket list moment for me. Saturday Morning Trek. All these things just brought in more and more people who thought they were alone, and they found each other, and they made their clubs, and they then they made conventions, and that just that's what the seventies were about: was getting Star Trek back and finding each other. Melodic treks. Imagine that scene without that music. That music is so poignant and so beautiful. And they had played it earlier in the episode, and it wasn't sad when they played it earlier. It was romantic. It was happy. It was freeing. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So check out these shows and find out what we're talking about in your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe. You can find us anywhere you can find your podcasts. Uh, And if you want to download the MP3 file or grab the RSS link, you can find it at our website at Trek.fm. And if you're an Apple user, please be sure to hit the subscribe button. That really helps us out as far as Apple's uh, algorithms go as far as finding other listeners and also if you'll leave us a star rating and review that would really help us also increase our visibility so we have a couple of new star reviews that uh, i'd like to read here on this episode so brandon this first one says it's from brandon h83 so is that a is that a new handle for you or uh no i am not reviewing my own uh my own shows here that i'm working okay all right well could could, well (laughs) could you go could you go ahead and read that one from brandon sure thing uh five stars best enterprise podcast from brandon h83 maybe it's like haiti three or something like is he from haiti oh yeah i hadn't thought about that hate hate three yeah hate three um 83 maybe i don't know who knows uh i love listening to warp 5 on trek fm this is intelligent discussion about all aspects of the series and the hosts are very passionate about the subject the show may be off the air but through podcasts like this fans can still derive enjoyment from enterprise and discover new facets of the show thanks very much brandon that is what we strive for here we want to talk about the positive and we want to be passionate about what we talk about so uh, thank you very much for your kind words yep thank you so much brandon and we have another review from the u.s store uh mike could you read that one for us yeah floyd this is from blind brewer a five-star ratings it's uh captioned great podcast he says uh he or she says the hosts change but the quality remains very high great podcast about an underrated show thank you so much blind brewer yeah and christopher's actually mentioned that the hosts have changed more for warp five than any other show 
So we're just trying to keep it consistent. That's that, that's the plan. Uh, and I think the beauty of that, Floyd, and I say this as a, as a co-associate producer uh, for Warp 5, I think the beauty of that is you get different perspectives and different voices talking about this, uh, this series that we all love so much. I, I actually think it's uh, kind of a good thing. Oh, yeah, definitely. So, yeah, as, as Mike mentioned, he's a co-associate producer for Warp 5, and he does that through patreon.com slash trekfm. Um, so... Brandon, you actually are a patron of the network through Patreon. So uh, could you let our boomers know a little bit about how uh, Patreon works and then how you've participated with it? You bet. Um, so Patreon is a way for you to support the network financially because we honestly, we can't produce podcasts without your help. So whatever dollar amount you're able to contribute is appreciated anywhere from $1 to $10 million per month. And uh, I personally contribute $25 a month so that I can be an associate producer on Literary Treks, uh, which is how I got into Trek FM, which is all about the books and novels of the Star Trek universe. And if you sign up at the $25 a month level, you can become an associate producer. Uh, if you sign up at the $5 a month level, you can get access to patron.zone, which is a special little place where we try and put some exclusive content for you. And uh, we've recently had a few cool things up there, like Ken Tripp from Standard Orbit and I did a commentary for the Deep Space Nine episode, Trials and Tribulations. And uh, I put a deleted scene from an interview, and I'm going to be doing that uh, with a special Halloween episode that I've done for Melodic Treks. I've actually got a deleted scene from that that I'm going to post on there soon. Um, and then there's also, sometimes we get some new releases. It's hard to get new releases up there early, and so that's why I'm trying to expand the uh, the bonus content for, for the listeners. Uh, but at the $15 a month, uh, level, you can actually take part in our patrons roundtable, uh, which we host once a month. And right now we're alternating between Aaron Harvey and myself as a host uh, of the roundtable. And we talk about various discussions in the same format that we do these shows. Very good. Thank you, Brandon. So yeah, if you like what you hear and you feel moved to help us out a little bit, we are a listener supported network. So you can visit patreon.com slash trekfm. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash trekfm. You can get more information. You can find out what level it is and whatever you feel comfortable with. We surely would appreciate it. Also, if you'd like to wear your trek.fm fan, you can find great trekfm themed merchandise at trekfm.store. So you can find you a cell phone cover. You can find a pillow. There's some T-shirts. We have a lot of items available on there. And um, you can wear it around and let people know that you are a Trek FM listener. Um, again, thank you so much, Mike, for being a co-associate producer of Warp 5. We really appreciate your support. My pleasure. And also, i like to thank Christopher Jones. He is the founder and producer of Trek FM. And thank you so much, Brandon, for editing our Warp 5 episodes. We really appreciate that. You're welcome. And then I I'll... will leave you guys in this time. Oh, okay. Well, thank you so much. I know that last episode, it was you're, you're, you weren't really sure if you're going to leave us in or not. So thank you so <laughs> much. And also, Tony Robinson for uh, taking care of the show art for us. We really appreciate that. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can visit us at trek.fm slash contact. Look on the sidebar on the show page and you can send an email directly to me or you can leave a voicemail at speakpipe.com slash trek.fm. We haven't had a voicemail yet, so that would be kind of cool to add that into a show. So yeah, just check that out at speakpipe.com 
pipe.com slash trekfm. You can also contact us through Twitter at trekfm, Facebook at facebook.com slash trekfm. And as we mentioned multiple times here, you can see us in the Babel Conference. Type the Babel Conference, B-A-B-E-L, into the search field on Facebook, or go to our website at trek.fm and click discussion on the menu bar. It's a closed group, but you can ask to join, and an administrator will let you right in very quickly, and you can get in on all the great talk of all of our Trek FM shows. So, gentlemen, thank you so much for uh, talking Season 2 with me. Um, you know, like I said, Season 2 just kind of seems to get overlooked a little bit. So thank you so much for coming on, Mike and Brandon. My pleasure. You are very welcome. And uh, if you just, you know, I got to get out of here. I got to I got to go to the decon gel because we've been in here for two weeks now, and it's getting kind of ripe in here. Okay. <laughs> you got to change flavors, right? So, hey, uh, Brandon, if... Um, people want to ask you like which flavor of decon gel is like the best or maybe the worst how could they get in touch with you well you could find me on melodic treks where i actually drink my mint flavored decon gel and uh that's the podcast on the network which is all about the music of star trek and you can find me on twitter at brandon metella and every once in a while i poke my head up in the babel conference and mike where can people find you when you're not going into early ponfar I try to avoid early pond far, especially when I'm eluding Tellarite uh, bounty hunters. So normally I can be found on the Starship Athesius over on my uh, podcast Metatrex, along with my esteemed co Zachary Fruling, where we talk about Star Trek and philosophy. I'm most active in social media on Facebook. You can catch me there and around the Babel Conference on Twitter. My Twitter handle is at cmichael1701 and on Instagram, cmichael1701. Very good. And if you'd like to get in touch with me, you can always find me on the Babel Conference, the Trek FM listeners page on Facebook. So, guys, we have, you know, Brandon, apparently he wants out of the decon chamber. Um, I didn't realize, you know, I, I never really like to hang out in the decon chamber unless I really, really, really have to, unless Flox makes us. You know, we started unless, out unless T'Pol's going through early Ponfar. Right. Yeah. I mean, we started out in the mess hall, and somehow we ended up in the decon chamber. So I, I don't know. We need to maybe check out that you know the Tellarites and see if uh, if like losing memory or something is somehow maybe you know a part of the augment DNA. So yeah, uh, boomers, we're gonna have to get out of here. Uh, thank you so much for listening, and join us again next time for another episode of Warp Five. <laughs>